0: Welcome to NAFI's More Right Rudder Podcast. I'm Beth Stanton, NAFI's Director of Publications and Editor, and today is the first episode of our new series, The Writers Behind the Stories. Content for NAFI's bi-monthly mentor magazine is sourced from NAFI members who volunteer to share their experience and tribal knowledge with the NAFI community. The best part of my job is Nafi's editor is working with the mentor writers. I get to know them through phone conversations and emails all throughout the creative and editing process. And I always wish I could sit down and have a drink with them and to pick their brains. Everyone is so interesting and I'm impressed by the, their diverse backgrounds and experience. And I'm really curious to know more. In journalism, we consider who, what, when, where, why, and how. So I wonder who the heck is this person and what have they done to gain their insight and knowledge? When, where, why, and how flight and instruction. Then of course, there's the stories they write. Why is this topic important? What have they done to gain their insight and knowledge? How did they come up with this article idea? When did they decide to write the story? What did they maybe leave out? A while back, NAFI director of program development, John Niehaus and I were having a conversation about this. And we came up with the idea every couple of months to feature a mentor author on the show. For this inaugural episode of the writers behind the stories, I'm pleased to welcome the one, the only Boots to the show. Anyone who has been reading Mentor for a while might recognize the name. If you have enjoyed his informative and entertaining articles over the years, wait until you meet him in person. Boots is his full name, not his nickname, and he was raised in Hollywood, California, which he said is usually enough of an explanation. He has been flying for 55 years and is a CFI, CFII, MEI, and is an AmpiA mechanic. Most of his flying was based at Van Nuys Airport in Los Angeles, the fabled GA airport immortalized in the documentary One Six Right. He now lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, where he is an active flight instructor. Boots has flown all over the world, including Central America, Africa, and Europe. He was a professional motorcycle racer, and he still rides the 1940 Harley he built from scratch. He is an avid hunter and shooter, and actually tried out for the U.S. Olympic team twice in the 1980s. And he's been the owner of several successful businesses. Boots was the winner of the 2022 Laszlo Excellence in Riding Award, which is presented each year at Oshkosh, to an individual who has made significant contributions to NAFI publications. If you look up colorful character in the dictionary, you just might see a picture of Boots. (laughs) Boots, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I think you know more about me than I know about me
0: now. (laughs) Your fame precedes you, Boots. So, So, Boots, my first question to you is how long have you actually been a member of NAFI?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, ever since I got my flight, in, my first CFI, my initial CFI, I joined NAFI immediately, and I'm guessing that's 25 years or so, I'm guessing.
0: Okay, so it's been a while. So um, in our pre-game conversation we had a while back, I asked you how many articles you'd written for NAFI, and when did you start? And you told me you actually couldn't remember. So I reached out to David hipschman uh, our former director of publications and editor to ask him and he replied that you've been you've probably written about a dozen articles over the last five years or so.
1: That sounds right. I'm thinking I've written even more than that, but I honestly don't know. I tried to go through my notes after I talked to you and I ran into 11 or 12 of them, you know, that I had copies of, but then I just ran out. I don't know.
0: So here's my question. So if you started writing for Nafi, let's even say five or 10 years ago, what made you start writing these articles? Like what was the motivation? What was the impetus for you? Like I need to start writing these things down.
1: There was never a motivation to become a writer, to start writing for that. The inspiration for a given article here and there usually was some event, aviation event I'm talking about, um, maybe something I saw, a memory of something that came back to me from the past and thinking it would be interesting. I started with one or two. Uh, I also wrote some articles previously for some other publications. Now and again, same same situation. Um, But as Mentor started printing them and got good feedback. It sort of inspired me to come up with new events or I shouldn't say events new articles based on events from history or even current events. I mean, I found one or two of the articles that I've written from things that have happened very recent.
0: Well, I love that that you um you know you are definitely one of the more prolific mentor contributors. Um, it's been not even quite a year since I took over uh, as director of publications. It was July of 2022, and we're recording this. It'll be live in May. So I was very, very happy to inherit you from David <laughs> because you'd been writing for David for, for years. And um, we do get, my impression for, of you Boots is you, you are so engaged. Now, listen, Every person in aviation and every flight instructor, in my experience, has been very engaged, very passionate, very generous with wanting to support the community. I mean, think of any pilot that will take someone up for a ride, you know, like with young eagles. And and in the flight instruction community, everybody is so willing to help everyone else. And I like that saying, a rising tide lifts all ships. And so when you contribute your very prolific knowledge to, to the NAFI community, you know, we're, we're so grateful and we really do get a lot of great feedback from you. And, um, I was laughing because one of the first back and forth with, I think you, you wrote an article about Shondell's and then about Shondell's.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, that was a.
0: And and it, it generated a lot of letters to the editor and back and forth. And, you know, one thing about pilots is we are all very opinionated and we all have our, you know, our say and our beliefs about certain things. And it was just so funny because I think for multiple issues, the letters to the editor went back and forth and you replied. I mean, you, it was almost like an article that you replied back with. And so I, I really think that's a, a beautiful part of um, the community at Mentor Magazine, the, that everybody is so engaged. And so, okay, you write the article and then you're very engaged with replying to the people who have comments and feedback about your material.
1: Well, it seems like that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That if somebody has a comment on your article, positive or, or negative, because, you know, I received both, um, you should reply. I mean, if not, it's just a one way discussion. You know, I write an article, take it or leave it. That's not that's not a discussion. And I see it more as a discussion. As you said, pilots are opinionated in general. And uh, I remember that specific uh, article. And in fact, there were two articles that mentioned Shandell's now that you mention it. Um, One, I hadn't thought of it till you just said it. When I it inspired, one to be careful what you teach. Because I taught a new pilot how to do a chandelle and didn't tell him why. Well, he did a chandelle to escape turbulence. <laughs> and when he told me that, I had to sit down with him and rediscuss the whole scenario. That's not why you do a chandelle, or everyone why you would do a chandelle. Mm-hmm. And another was an article when those people were killed, uh, Canyon running, where I felt a chandelle could have gotten them out of it. Maybe. I don't know that as a fact, but I know nothing else could have, and six people died. So both of those got feedback of people tr- look at Shandell's in different manners. Uh, some supported me, and others said that's absolutely the wrong thing to do, but it's, they're right to their opinion.
0: Well, that's what's so interesting, because, you know, you think, you think in the world that certain things are black and white, like this is up and this is down. And- Very
1: little in aviation, especially in weather, <laughs> you know. Yeah,
0: yeah. So Boots do you want to talk a little bit about that story um that there's a couple of really compelling stories that um you know unfortunately uh, a lot of a lot of the lessons we learn in aviation are due to uh, accidents or mistakes that people make and of course there's that saying we don't have to make all the mistakes ourselves we can learn from other people's mistakes and i think when we examine mistakes. And of course it's never any judgment call, but we can look back and Monday morning quarterback and say, what could we have done differently? And I think this is such an important part of, of what we do as a CFI community is, is we sort of share, these are what my experiences are or were, and this is what I learned. And then applying it to something that happened to hopefully prevent someone else from having an incident or an accident or a fatality. Exactly. so, do you want to talk a little bit about that article with the with the canyon running, and so sort of what were the implications of of that article?
1: Uh, I'm sorry, which article again? I didn't understand that.
0: So, you talked about an article that you just mentioned it right now, where the people were killed in, oh, in the canyon. Yeah. So, do, can that you give was, us a little background about that story? Yeah,
1: that uh, there's some significant background. This was at the Van Nuys Airport back when there were a lot of air, you know, G, uh, general aviation airplanes at the Van Nuys Airport, and it was sort of a community. At one time, we had 1,200 GA airplanes there, non-jets, I mean, pistons. Um, so we all knew each other, whether we were friends or not, or more or less all of us. There was a group I knew pretty well that used to go to brunch every Sunday. You know, They would fly somewhere out of the Van Nuys Airport, Oh, within about a hundred miles or so, and go to brunch. They would do. They were all self-taught formation pilots. Mm-hmm. That alone worries me. I've done a little bit of formation pl- flying myself, being taught by a uh, ex-military pilot. I do not consider myself proficient at formation flying, so I've done very little after getting the training. These people, to the best of my knowledge, had nearly no experience at that, different types of airplanes, various speeds, and the person that was sort of the leader of the group, also like canyon running. Um, I don't know, for people that are not familiar with Van Nuys, as you leave uh, the Van Nuys airport, you've got mountains everywhere, all the way around. The flights would normally go either north or east because there were a lot of restaurants at other airports up there. And he would like to take the formation down low in the canyons, canyon running. Once I saw it and realized what was going on, I didn't want anything to do with it. I told a number of people at the airport, they're going to kill themselves. There would be anywhere from four or five to eight or nine planes all doing this every Sunday uh, morning to brunch. At the same time, I had a, a student, a female student, That I was flying uh, for her instrument and her commercial rating in my Cardinal RG. And she used to go with them on those Sunday flights. I told her several times they're going to kill kill themselves. We argued about it occasionally. I mean, it really wasn't my business to tell her what to do other than I'm her flight instructor. I consider it sort of a, a flight instructor should be giving that information to their students. Telling them what's dangerous. We're trying to keep them alive. In any case, I had told a lot of people the same thing. I finally got upset after seeing a few new developments in this organization. This, it wasn't an organization. Loose lift group, uh, loose group. I said, look, either stop flying with them on those flights or I'm just going to stop flying with you. Because there's, you're going to kill your, they're going to kill you. They're gonna kill themselves, they're gonna kill you. I I just don't want anything to do with you, flying with you anymore if you're gonna keep doing that. She was mad, but she stopped. She had the opportunity to work on weekends if she wanted, so she just started working on weekends. So there was no you know, discussion of why she wasn't flying with them anymore. Two, three weeks later, they go off on a flight and a good friend of mine, Who I knew to be a very experienced ex-military pilot went with them, but he would never get into the formation with them. He would stay quite a bit behind them, higher, and then just meet them at the restaurant for brunch, out of safety. Two of them, well, two of them. The leader, a plane tightly on his wing, who was a low-time pilot. uh, Both, uh, both were flying Bonanzas dropped down into the canyon and had five or six others following him, But as, you know, a formation, they're stepped up. So the, the ones behind them are a little farther behind and lower. The last communications that was heard on the air to air radio by the friend of mine who was back in like much higher and lower was, I won't use the names, but saying, do you think you're going to be able to get out of there? his response on the radio was, I don't think so. Think about that in a formation flight. I don't think so. No one ever called formation break. There was no pre-briefing. There was no, he pancaked in, the guy in his wing pancaked in, both planes exploded in flames. Number three and four that were stepped higher, of course they saw it powered up and barely escaped the canyon. And the rest didn't have a problem. The friend of mine orbited high cover, called for help. When the responders arrived, they were in an area where first responders got there within about 30, 40 minutes. He turned around, headed back to Van Nuys. Hour and a half, two hours later, he was on the ground telling us what had happened. I called the um, girl I was flying with. She worked at a hospital. Had to leave an emergency message for her, of course. She called me back about 15 minutes later. I explained what had happened to her. Oh, uh, sorry, not what happened to her. I explained what had happened. I knew who were aboard those planes because the friend of mine had given me the names. Told her what had happened, who they were. Dead silence for a minute. She came back on the phone and said, you saved my life. What does a flight, uh, flight instructor do? I mean... That's our job, more so than teaching them to fly. I mean, the joke about, we don't teach them to fly, we keep them alive long enough to teach themselves to fly. Mm -hmm. And I really believe most of that, but this was a classic case, and that was the event that ended up talking about a couple of, that I talked about in two or three articles without always necessarily mentioning the event that caused the articles but remembering them, you know, was the inspiration for other articles.
0: That is super powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. And um, pretty much all of us here listening to this right now have lost friends and colleagues in aviation yeah. accidents. And it's it does get emotional. So here's my question. Uh,
1: by, by the way... That girl did go on to finish her instrument and commercial with me. <laughs>
0: that's that's excellent. Well, thank you for keep, <laughs> thank you for keeping her alive. Booz. Yeah. So, as you're telling me this story, I'm thinking this this harkens back to aeronautical decision making, and so much has been written and spoken for okay, more than a hundred years <laughs> since yeah. the Wright brothers <laughs> flew about pilots making decisions, whether it's um, flying into IMC, whether it's scud running, whether it's canyon running, like what you just described. What do you think? So I guess I guess I have a couple of questions and, and these are kind of universal questions that we're all asking, but I think it's an interesting conversation to have with you um, since we're on this topic is, why do you think people to just des- decide to continue to do things that, they, that may kill them. Do they not understand the consequences of this? For example, your student, she was happy to go along with it. So did she not understand? Is there some sort of peer pressure? Is it sort of that um, invincibility aspect? Is it a lack of imagination? Uh, is there like, I don't think it's going to happen to me. Uh, I don't know, some, all of the above. I mean, Boots, you've been an instructor for decades. Yeah. What What, what are your-
1: above. All of the above. And think of the personality of most people that start learning to fly other than the airline guys. I mean, the guys that are doing it as a career to go into the airlines, to them it's professional career management. For almost all the rest of us, the the type A personality of the, especially the male pilot, all of the above, it's not gonna happen to me. In fact, I'll bring up an incident. I don't, not an incident as much as a, a, a reoccurring event that I don't think I've mentioned to you. At one of the flying clubs that I'm a member of, I give safety meetings now and again, various CFIs do. Most of the people that come to our safety meetings are low time pilots, new pilots, students, that kind of thing. And there'll be 30, 40, 50 people come. We give free pizza and water out, that incites them. When I conduct these safety meetings, one of the first things I ask is, how many of you know anyone that's died in a light airplane? One or two people usually raise their hands. I said, well, I've known about 50. And that's the truth, roughly. I said, I can name most of them. Half of those were probably friends. That gets their attention and they listen. I've gone to other safety meetings given by other people, and they talk about you shouldn't fly if the temperature is below this and above that because of ice. You eat shit. And everybody's sleeping through those meetings. Somehow you got to get their attention before they're even listening. Mm-hmm. And that was my method of getting their attention and they listen. And that it is true.
0: I've known that many. No. And I'm sure that many of our listeners right, right now could, you know, depending how long you've been in aviation, you, you have a double digit number there for sure. So there's another article that um, I believe we had it in the uh, September, October 22 issue uh, entitled, why do people want to fly and you approached me about this article because you had, you were part of you. You were featured in an LA Daily Times cover newspaper. LA Daily News. LA Daily News Newspaper. You were featured in a newspaper article for this publication, and it originally was. They, st- they reached out to, you, I believe, because there had been an accident, a pretty high profile accident that had happened recently. And and it sort of made people wonder, non-aviation people wonder like, well, why the hell do people fly in these small airplanes? And so the the newspaper article turned out to be something quite different once the reporter and the photographer came out to, uh, to meet you and to interview. So Boots, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, what the newspaper article was supposed to be, and then what it turned out to be.
1: That really turned out to what I'm proud of. I mean, the art of the newspaper article. There was a high profile accident in New York where an airplane flew into a building, two people were killed. Because the person, the pilot, was so well known, it was a celebrity, a sports celebrity, it made nationwide news. I mean, normally you wouldn't even hear about an accident in, say, Arizona that happened in, uh, you know, New York. This one was in every newspaper. Following morning, a friend of mine who was a reporter from the L.A. Daily News. I wouldn't say a friend, but an acquaintance from the L.A. Daily News called me, wanted me to do an interview on why do people fly. That was his comment. Why do you guys fly these little, you know, airplanes? It's so dangerous type of thing. Um I know from history, and AOPA tells us, and everybody else does, don't talk to reporters. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to the press. Don't talk to the media. They always want to make us look bad. They always want us to look like cowboys in the air. They're just going to make it look bad. And I talked to him. He said, look, the focus of the story, of course, is that accident, which is going to be a front page story tomorrow. We want something as a sidebar on why do you guys wanna fly this stuff to start with? I promise you, I won't make it into a the kind of story you're worried about though. I'll give you a professional story, but I need something. I thought, oh, well, he didn't say tomorrow, I'm sorry. He said, I've, he was just set about doing the story. I Thought about it for a minute and I thought, well, this guy's been honest in the past, I'll trust him. I said, okay, let me, and he will to talk to me and a couple others, so I said, I'll call around Get a couple of friends, organize and Maybe we can get together in a couple of days to do a story. No, no, he said, my deadline's six o'clock tonight. I'll be at your office in 20 minutes. 20 minutes later, he shows up at my office. My office was at the Van Nuys Airport. I ran, I ran a company right there next door to the airport fence. He shows up and he brings a cameraman. 20 minutes later, i made a couple of calls, had a couple of friends that were going to meet us there. And we drive over to the airport in my car because I could drive in. I had a hangar for my airplane. They couldn't drive in on their own. It started as we first driving in, the, the entrance for us GA pilots was between rows of hangars. As we're driving in, one of the hangars was open on the side by the, by the entrance, and there's a P-51 in there, and a young guy, 18, 19, is standing up in the wing and kind of cleaning the plane, you know, normal type of stuff. We saw that at Van Eyes all the time. And that's, this was not a, the report, or not the reporter, but his cameraman stopped me. And he said, wow, there's a P-51 Mustang. I love Mustang. Could I take pictures? I "No, no, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you can't take pictures unless I get permission of the owner. Well, I knew the owner. I could use his name, I'm sure, because he's a well-known movie guy. His name is Kevin LaRosa. I said, I've got to call him and see if we can get pictures. We can't just take pictures. So I called him on my cell phone. Well, his office was right there, too. And he comes out of his office. that was upstairs on the other. Well, right there. You could see him. He said, you can go ahead and take pictures of the plane. He said, but I don't have time to do it. They want to do an interview. He said, I don't have time to do an interview. He said, um, talk to my son. I didn't know that was his son on the wing. Well, that was Kevin LaRosa Jr. on the wing. I the plane. So we get out. They take a bunch of pictures. They ask a bunch of questions. How did you get into flying? That kind of thing. And Kevin gives a Kevin Jr. gives an incredible interview. I mean, I didn't know him. I had known his father. Just about the privilege of aviation, and his father's teach him to fly the Mustang, and all he has to do is get good grades and keep his nose clean. And he didn't say like other friends getting in trouble. That incredible interview. That it did some of that made the paper. then we go on in. We do my interview at my hangar and my airplane and all that. By the way, (laughs) I saw Top Gun Mustang that just came out recently, the movie. Credits rolled. Kevin LaRosa Jr. was the aerial coordinator. He grew up. This was 2006 we did that. I looked at that, that's Kevin. (laughs) The funny part is I've known Clay Lacey since he started his company, Clay Lacy Aviation, he was the rail coordinator on the original uh, Top Gun. And we're still good friends. I talk to him every few weeks. Uh, in any case, so we go on into my hangar. And I give him my interview on this and that. He talks to another one of my friends that had an airplane there at the airport. Does a couple of telephone interviews. And then he kind of wanted to go around the airport to to take some just general public pictures. And he said, we're not allowed in the airport on our own. We can't just drive around. I said, well, get in my airplane. i taxi. <laughs> you know, I'll get a taxi for, for just taxi. And then I thought about it as we climbed in my car. number, we we're about to climb in. I said, why? It's a beautiful day. Let's just go flying. Oh, OK. He said, can, they, um, can my cameraman sit in the front seat so we can get better pictures? Sure. We taxi out. Take off in my Cardinal RG, do the, the basic scenic route I usually would take on a beautiful day in Southern California, fly over Malibu Canyon over Pepperdine, down to the beach run, head up the beach off of Santa Monica. You know, I intentionally didn't fly over Magoo, Point, Magoo Naval Air Station. Uh, they'll, they will give us permission to do so. It's a restricted airspace, but normally they give us easy permission. I thought better of it, thought I don't want to see a picture of the Naval Aerospace in the newspaper tomorrow. So I didn't ask permission. Instead, I broke off, flew over Thousand Oaks and Simi Canyon, all that. We go by. And that's pretty much it. We fly back, land at Van Nuys, park the airplane. They take off because he's got to write his story. Next morning, he calls me at home early, the reporter he said, How do you like your 15 minutes of fame? I said, What are you talking about? I just got up. He said, Go out and buy a bunch of all the papers you can find. He said, my editor liked our story, that I, or the story I did, that he named the Allure of Flight so well that he made that the front page story above the fold, and he made the accident the sidebar. And he did a great article. I've got that one framed. He did a great article on the beauty of GA Flight instead of this horrible accident. And that's, you know, the basis of an article that had triggered my memory.
0: Well, I just, that is an incredible story. And what I love so much about this whole story on many, many levels Boots is, um, you know, again, the impetus was for this whole situation was this tragic accident that happened. Um, And the fact that you turn that into being an ambassador for general aviation, um, for, for the world to see, because we need articles like that to, to try to explain to people who haven't flown or don't know about general aviation, like pretty much everybody's gotten on a jetliner and flown at 35,000 feet from point A to point B, but obviously people who fly, um, whether it's for fun or for professional or instruction, it's a whole different world. And to sort of bring people into that experience of that world is just so amazing that you were able to, to do that. So like, you're an ambassador for aviation and and thank you. besides being a great flight instructor and also sharing your knowledge with, with the flight instruction community. I mean, the fact that you were able to share that, um, So what was some of the, what was some of the feedback that you got from people on the article? Um, I know obviously everybody, a lot of people read that. And what were some of the, um, did you get any uh, reactions that that sort of were intrigued you or
1: generally the feedback were exactly what you've just stated of instead of the front page being about accidents and the danger of flight, the front page being the beauty of flight and the photo above the fold is I didn't even know he'd taken that shot was me in the cardinal as I'm turning over Simi Valley heading back toward Van Nuys with a caption or something along those lines of the beauty of flight
0: that I and I've seen that picture it's a great picture (laughs) (laughs) so um, last year, when you received the Laszlo Writing Award, well deserved, <laughs> <That's right>. Boots. <laughs> Thank you so much, and 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 we're sorry you weren't able to be at Oshkosh to accept the award, but your student Chris,
1: yeah, Chris Riley, yep. yeah, was
0: able to accept it for you. Um, one of the quotes, I, I said, okay, Boots, I need a quote from you for the article because <laughs> um, we wrote about you and the next issue of mentor. You said, the most important thing I have learned as a CFI is how little I knew before I started instructing. Absolutely. So so please tell us a little bit about that.
1: You know, when we're flying ourselves, we're not teaching, we're flying. Whether we're a CFI, I'm sorry, whether we're flying instrument, commercial, multi, whatever we're flying, I flew an Aerostar for a while. Um, We don't know the mistakes we're making other than the bad ones. (laughs) The little (laughs) stuff, we barely even notice. We just keep quiet and we're doing fine. When we're instructing, we're sitting back watching everything develop, trying to look for mistakes, not having to deal with the airplane. Therefore, we're learning from every mistake, or not even always a mistake. We're looking for ways to improve what the student is doing, and by doing so, it forces us to think ahead and and almost predict what his next move would be, and what our next move should be, should have been if we were manipulating and control. I've learned a lot more teaching and I've talked to other CFIs, including Chris Riley, who picked up that award. He was a primary student when I picked him up and I got him through his instrument commercial and then CFI. We've talked about it. And he said the same thing now that he's teaching primary students, he's learned far more about flying than he ever knew since he started teaching. (laughs) I I think that's true of all of us, by the way, a, a, one point about that that award, when you called me to tell me I was winning this award, I was totally shocked. And I think I told you then, I failed English in high school. How do I win an award for writing? They failed me. It, I still don't know what the words, what the terminology in English mean, much less how to do it. And yet you didn't edit many of my articles. It just seems like they're printed almost verbatim. <laughs> I just I didn't know what to say.
0: <laughs> well, you bring <laughs> up, you bring up a really good point, Boots. It, it, this was actually a, a wonderful segue because <laughs> I was about to say to you, I was about to ask you what would you tell other Nafi members who are listening to this podcast and they're hearing your stories. And by the way, you're super inspiring. I know that's probably embarrassing you and you probably don't want to acknowledge it, but <laughs> but, but your work that you've done over the decades is, is quite amazing. There may be people out there right now thinking, oh gosh, maybe I could write that story or maybe I could share this thing that happened, but then they won't do it because they'd say, oh, I can't write. I'm not a writer. What would you tell those people?
1: Write the way you talk. I think I do if when I read some of my own notes and my own stories they sound when I'm reading them back the way I talk when I'm talking to friends and that's the only advice I give them or can give them is write the way you speak now if they can't speak well I don't and I don't mean speaking to an audience I mean when you're talking to your friends if they're people that don't speak well, talk to their friends. Maybe they can write, maybe they can't. But if they can speak, hold conversations with their friends, there's no reason they can't write. Use the same words, the same terminology. At least that's what I do. Well, I cuss less when I write. <laughs> and I tell you, I try to. Anyway. And I hope my editor <laughs> catches me if I don't. <laughs> I miss a few.
0: <laughs> well, it's funny. I I texted John Niehaus before we started this call. And I said, John, could I use the word hell on the podcast? (laughs) He wrote back, "Uh, I guess so. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you said that because my, my stock response when people say I can't write or I don't know how to write, I think to myself, okay, what do pilots like to do best in the world? They like to tell stories about their flying exploits. And it's called hanger. It's called hanger flying, and everybody does it. Yep. So I always, I always tell people just. Sometimes I'm like, just take your iPhone and or your device and just speak the story. So like exactly what you said, just speak the story. Like you were tell or, or record a story you're telling a friend, and Great then the, there's your story. There's actually um, software that is voice transcription software that I use, and you just. Plug in the recording and it transcribes it for you. So, boom. I mean, obviously, you have to clean it up a little, but so yeah. I, I guess we all have our stories to tell, and the community, both um, aviation community in general and flight instruction, flight instructor community, is is uh, benefits from these stories. I mean, Boots, I, I'm so grateful for for both of the stories that you told us just on the podcast here. They're very, very impactful. And if one story or one lesson that we impart to somebody, if they could either have that save their own life or a student, their, their student's life or another fellow pilot's life, I mean, gosh, it's so worth it.
1: It, it. Absolutely, just what you said. I had never thought of simply recording a conversation and turning it into a story that way, but of course, why not do that? And if you aren't very good at typing, give it to someone else to type up. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you a story along those lines. You know who Clay Lacey is, I'm sure. Yeah. Most people in aviation do. For 25, 30 years, his friends, including myself, tried to talk him into writing a book. He has stories that go back to the very, very early aviation days and could go on and on and on. He'll grow, An audience will be around him. He's so good. We couldn't get him to write a book, couldn't get him to write a book, couldn't get him to write a book. Went on for at least 30 years. Finally, he writes a book, a full book, comes out with it, he self-published, vanity publishing, hardback. I owned a printing company for 20 years. I know what it costs. He spent a lot of money publishing these books. Wouldn't sell them to anybody. Play, we want your books, what are you talking about? Wouldn't sell them to anybody. Finally, one day I show up at the local pub we're all drinking at and he hands me one. Not just autographed, page by page by page. Remember when we did this and that on each of the stories? That's what he was doing with his close friends and that's why he wouldn't just give us or sell us books one by one with his close friends, he was going page by page, signing and making personal notes to the friends that remembered these events with. Him. And then he gave some of the books to the, I think EAA to auction off for, for you know charity. But when you talk about writing book, of course he had a ghostwriter writing with them because this book probably goes three, four hundred pages, one of the valued books in my library today. But uh, yeah, hangar flying. Uh, Some do it more than others, but they make good stories, some good stories, some pretty bad stories. But most could be turned into a instructional article if somebody thought about it and thought about what could be learned from this, or in my case, I look at it, not only what can be learned, what can be imparted to another in-flight instructor to use to teach a student. You, are you following me there? In other words, it's not just learn from what I'm saying, it's look, how could you teach to get around these problems?
0: Now, and um, that's why we are so grateful to have you, Boots, as one of Mentor's authors, <laughs> you're, you're a treasure and When John and I talked about starting this series on the podcast, there was never any doubt in my mind who the first person (laughs) I was going to interview, (laughs) it was always going to be you because you do have a, a bit of a mystique about you. And it's funny. I was talking to another mentor author several months ago, and I told him that we were going to start doing this series on the more right writer podcast. And I told him, I'm like, guess who's going to be the first one I interview? Boots. And he (laughs) said to me, and he said to me, yeah who the hell is this guy boots like he was so and that's why i had to ask john if i could use the word hell um (laughs) like so people are really like i think we're all quite intrigued by by the man behind the pen and so this has been a wonderful a wonderful glimpse um into you boots um your you know your personality shines through in your stories like you said you, you you write like you speak and it comes through and um the The man behind the mystery now is a little less mysterious. <laughs> Hopefully, we did not blow your cover. I,
1: I don't try to be mysterious. It's just, <laughs> you know, I had so much freedom to do so many things for so long. You stack them up, and they they seem like they aren't possible to do so many different things. But I've had so many years.
0: Yeah, and and so just sharing sharing your stories with us is just it's invaluable, and I just want to. Thank you from the entire NAFI community, um, from the bottom of all of our hearts. You you are a treasure in in our community. And um, for for our final words here, Boots, um, tell us what is your favorite part of flight instruction?
1: Boy, that's a tough one. No one's ever asked me that before. I enjoy teaching. the only thing I ever, well, I, should, I was starting to say something and then realized that, no, that's not true. Uh, I was going to say the only thing I ever taught is flight strike, but no, that's absolutely not true. I've taught dozens of people uh, shooting. I'm a I'm a world champion shooter of various types, and I've taught lots and lots of people how to shoot handgun, rifle, combat goes on and on. Friends of mine, especially women, friends of mine used to have me teach their wives and girlfriends self-defense shooting. And they quit doing that some years ago. They thought, who's the most likely person for them to shoot? Us. So they wanted me to quit teaching women to shoot. That was half a joke, but they did. They used to all have me teach their wives and girlfriends uh, shooting. Math, because math was always my, I was a math, a whiz kid in math. It was so easy. Uh, Business, I've owned, managed, or, well, I've either owned or been the head of the company since I was 18 years old. I've been literally that long in business. And I only quit business five years ago. So small companies right up through publicly traded large companies. Um, So, yeah, I've taught a lot of things. And I enjoyed it. I guess that's probably what I enjoy about being a CFI is I just enjoy teaching people. I don't do any primary instruction because the legal liability or the civil liability is just too high for me to accept. Uh, but I, enjoy, I especially enjoy teaching instrument. Um, Commercial is easy to teach. Uh, CFI is very, very difficult to teach, but I enjoy the sort of the uh, challenge of teaching a new CFI. You know, we all know what the failure rate is on the initial uh, check ride for uh, new CFIs, but I enjoy that challenge. So it's just a matter of uh, enjoying the challenge, I guess, of the teaching process. I like teaching people, by the way, in, in simulators, in full motion sims, because I can do things I can't do in an airplane.
0: Well, we are so lucky to have you. You've been just a rock star guest here <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> on, on our, our new series, The Writers Behind the Stories of the More Right Writer Podcast. So please give us your comments. Uh, you could put them here in the comments here on the podcast. You can write in to bstanton at org. That's my email for Naffy. Tell us what you thought of this interview with Boots. And we will see you next time on The Writers Behind the Story, Naffy's More Right Writer Podcast. Boots, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. And I've, I just enjoy the relationship with, with Mentor and Naffy. Well, we enjoy it too. Thank you.
0: Take care. Bye now.
1: Oh.